0: I feel like
1: be like shashwat baxi here another fun-filled episode where we talk to people across the spectrum of industries and businesses about their journeys through their careers and what positions they might currently be holding today um and so now as we start season two my guest is sheila kelly sheila kelly welcome to the program
2: thank you so much
1: Absolutely. Um, So Sheila currently is the Senior Research Project Manager at the uh, University of Pennsylvania. I believe it is at Penn Medicine or at the university?
2: So It's the university. I kind of straddle the hospital system and all of their kind of academic departments.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So we will definitely get into that. But first of all, Sheila, why don't you give my listeners a little bit of a background about yourself, where you are, what's going on, and we can jump right in.
2: Sure. Uh, So. Like you said, my name is Sheila. I live and work in Philly. I work at the University of Pennsylvania, the Pens- and the Penn has both the college, well, I should say university, and their entire healthcare system. And my job is to be a, not the, research manager for them. And essentially, all that really means, if you're just like kind of boiling it down, is to oversee groups of studies um, from a public health perspective and focus on figuring out how to improve health outcomes for vulnerable populations. It's like vague, but also really niche at the same time.
1: Yeah, uh, you used a lot of big words in there, so I hope uh, that.
2: Did I t- ever tell you I got a really great score on my verbal SAT because it did? No,
1: but I'm no, but i but I'm about to ask about that next, so it'll be this
2: <laughs> <one>. <laughs> It was an 800, by the way. How about that? For real? I know.
1: Really? I know. You really had an 800 on your verbal on your SAT?
2: Yeah, actually, and I bring it up way more often than someone who's 33 should.
1: Uh, Sheila, I would write, I would wear that on my, I mean, I would wear that as a t-shirt.
2: I'll take that yeah. under consideration and attempt to do that. You
1: should. You should. Next time you walk around Penn, you can say, "Hey guys, yeah, you might have a great SAT or ACT score."
2: 800 over. verbal. I had,
1: and this is, and this is back before there were three sections.
2: It was indeed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good for you. Well so let's start let's start back way back when when we were um, studying for the SATs and ACTs and all that the SAT2s and and uh, and AP tests together and all that Oof. stuff so when you were in high school so mm-hmm. for those people who don't know Sheila and I went to school together way back when um, when when you were in high school what were you thinking about or when you were in middle school what were you thinking about being when you grew up uh,
2: to be totally honest I didn't really know what I what i for sure wanted to be i just knew this is gonna make me sound like a massive brat but i honestly wanted anything other than my parents jobs or what my parents wanted me to do (laughs) um i was that kind of like i like to call it an independent kid other people like to call it an obstinate kid i just did my kind of my own thing and they were big math and science people and i just I don't know, I want to no know part of that. I know I sulked through every possible math class from K mm-hmm. to 12, and I didn't know for sure what I wanted to do, and you and I have talked about this, uh, partly because I don't think when we were in school a million years ago, a lot of diverse career paths were described to us. I just knew that I wanted to be my own person and do my own thing.
1: Awesome, awesome. So then when you were thinking about what was going to happen after high school, Right, you mm-hmm. obviously did really well on the on the SATs. I mean, you uh, and you, clearly you did. And then you were taking, and I and again filling in the background because I know this. You were taking higher level science classes, higher level mm-hmm. classes in general. Was there a thought about okay, I'm going to go to college and do X, Y, Z, or it was just let's see where the road takes me?
2: Honestly, not really.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I wound up going to Brandeis University, which is outside of Boston. It's a liberal mm-hmm. arts college. And one of the best things about it is that it does require you to take classes in a variety of areas so unfortunately you're going to have to take that math class but it could be a math class in a discipline that is more interesting than just intro to pre-calc it's like right. i could take economics and that counted as my math class and oddly that was one of the best decisions i as an 18 year old could have made um yeah. i don't think 18 year olds in general should be trusted with that huge decision of well what do you want to do and please invest thousands and thousands of dollars in that idea but Brandeis was good in that it offered especially when you're a freshman just this vast array of options from which you could kind of figure out your your path
1: awesome so we get to Brandeis and Mm -hmm. did you declare a major when you got there or did you wait a while did you just go in undeclared and stay undeclared until it was time for you to declare, what happened?
2: I was a double major, as you can probably tell from my like little econ shout out, I double majored in economics and in English.
1: Okay, so what's
2: your degree? I have a BA in economics and English, and then after Brandeis, I went right into grad school at Boston University where I got my MPH, or master's in public health.
1: So you have a bachelor's in econ and in English? Yes, I do. You're just an overachiever. You've been an overachiever at least for the last seventeen years.
2: Well, I'm the sure. English was so easy because of my high verbal score.
0: Oh yes, yes. <laughs> was,
2: I'm surprised they didn't just accept that report and be like, oh, she gets, <laughs> she gets a BA.
0: That
1: would be nice, though, right? Imagine, talk, can this, you imagine? You should you should call somebody up at Brandeis and say, hey, alumni department, I would like some money back, given that. I'm just I gonna tweet had.
2: at them and link to this you podcast should. and be like, you, hey. <laughs>
1: Listen, Brandis. <laughs> nice. Cool. So then it was, um, so Econ and English, mm-hmm. you're in the Boston area, what drove you towards public health?
2: Well, I'm trying to think of like how to phrase this exactly because there was definitely a one-two punch that kind of made mm-hmm. me head in this direction. And it is a little bit difficult to talk about, so I apologize in advance if I'm a little stilted, but I do think it's important to discuss. Um I would Full say the first yours. Yeah. So the first pivotal moment for me where I was like, you know, I need to like get off my am I allowed to swear on this podcast?
1: You can say whatever you'd like.
2: Oh, thanks. I need to get off my ass and like just go, 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 go. And that mm-hmm. came about halfway through college. Um, Up until that point, I had been kind of doing a liberal arts thing, like trying out a bunch of different classes. I knew I loved econ, and that was great, uh, but I didn't quite still know. Um, But about halfway through college, I was assaulted. And this was an era, uh, you I mean, you were a college student at the same time. We were coming off kind of frenetic Duke lacrosse case coverage when it was very sensational, and colleges weren't necessarily known for handling sexual assault cases well or providing support to students. And I would definitely say, to Brandis' credit, that that was also about the time that there started to be more advocacy and change. Um, But honestly, it was not occurring at the time that it happened to me. So I kind of just shut down and my professional goal at that moment was, I need to get out and I need to move on and I need to leave all of this in the dust. So I took I want to say literally a trillion classes quite literally and I just graduated early and I left Brandeis in the dust for grad school and the second pivotal moment goes hand-in-hand with that once I got myself to grad school I was all prepared to do like healthcare economics or something like that because that was something I really found interesting Uh, this was right before Obamacare passed so it was if you thought the system is messed up now, it was even more messed up in the past. Mm-hmm. So I was super interested in maybe looking that, looking at that, studying that, find a way to make some change there. Uh, but I actually stumbled across an option for a class called Using Public Health to Prevent Sexual Violence or something like that. Wow. Yeah, and it was with Professor Emily Rothman, who hopefully we'll get a chance to discuss because she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a chance that I could handle it because. She, You never know. And it was like the entire layout of my future changed. Um, My story is not unique. There are wonderful, very strong people who channel trauma of a variety of sources into the inspiration behind some heroic careers. And that can be a doctor, that can be a lawyer, it can be a therapist, it can be an activist. But I never really felt like I had it in me to do that one-on-one. And as we were talking about before, I didn't really know of any other kind of career path, it almost was like, I don't know, get my grandfather in here who used to work at a Pittsburgh steel mill, he'd be like, you aren't a doctoral lawyer, what are you? Um, But to be able to have a career where you take a problem and you're required by your job to remove your emotions from it, and to not connect with people, honestly, if you're being kind of cold, and just examine it from a bunch of different angles and try to find ways to keep it from happening on a macro level, not necessarily an individual level, that had me written all over it. It was the first time that I really felt passionate about something as a professional possibility. And while I really enjoyed econ and I adored English classes and writing and getting the best verbal scores known to man, this was definitely more of a calling kind of thing. And I definitely debated before we started talking and you were very kind when you kind of went over how the podcast worked and what I did and did not feel comfortable discussing. I'm very kind about opening that option up to me to just not talk about this topic, but I thought about it and I felt like it would have been dishonest to everybody out there who's been through something similar to me, I've kind of glossed over what happened and its impact. Um, the entire hashtag me movement definitely opened up the floor to a discussion nationally, internationally about how assault and harassment and trauma affect people's careers. So while I wouldn't consider mine like a classic Hollywood example, then I at least think that an honest appreciation for how pervasive this is, it, to anybody you know, I guarantee somebody who's listening to this, it's either happened to them or they know somebody who it has, it's important for every school and every industry to like have a solid understanding of that. I just threw a bomb at you, didn't
1: I? No, no, I I have to let that hang, right? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. There's some real, not only raw emotion there, Mm -hmm. but also a motivating factor on why you are where you are today that I have yet to discuss on this podcast, Mm -hmm. right? It's not something that people would be open and honest about. And so on behalf of everybody who does listen to this, I do appreciate the fact that you felt comfortable speaking honestly about why you are where you are and what got you here
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, let me also say that i'm extremely sorry to hear that again uh, that this has happened to you Um, but i would say the only way to respond is that you have done a phenomenal job of taking the silver lining of the negative experiences that you had and driving them to a position now where you can look back and say, I am where I am because of that, and look at how much good I am doing and how much positive change I'm impacting and affecting on a day-to-day basis.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great, that's truly a great way to look at it. And my feeling is if I'm not, if I'm not okay, you know, you disclose it, you disclose something like that, and it's less about who do you disclose it to, and it's more about why and is yep. that going to be important? And in my mind, when I was looking at the um, some of the questions that I knew you would probably have for me,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, I knew that this this was important. And so sure. it's it's definitely something that, like I said, if it didn't happen to you, it happened to somebody that you know. And no if question. you don't know who that is, like hopefully this is just helpful in terms right. of being aware of who's around you. For sure. Mm-hmm.
1: For sure, well again, I definitely appreciate you being honest about that um I mean, I have a million questions about that, but that's not re- that's not relevant to this podcast. so the only thing I would then ask is um are you okay?
2: yeah, you know i mean let me let me think about how to answer that for a sec yeah no i i would say i i am okay um and I'm I'm thinking of a past boyfriend, honestly, who like would get frustrated any time. I was like, I'm okay. Yeah. But I, I want to say that I was really fortunate to have found a grad school. And shout out to BU, because they took what was probably a way too blunt admissions essay about why my grades were crap one mm-hmm. semester. And they looked at the transcript, and they didn't just let me in, but they gave me a scholarship. And I was super fortunate. To have met Emily and to have been shown a way to take something painful and make it serve a purpose. Mm. Um, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be true if I didn't say that that event itself was the biggest challenge of my life and my career to date, and it impacted literally every part of my life. Sure. Um, when it happened, I really couldn't see a future, and it wasn't in the way of like 14-year-old Sheila just. Being an asshole, being like, I don't want to do something with math, yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah. It truly was like, you you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. You just breathe in, you breathe out, you put one foot in front of the other, and somehow you make progress, and it's over a decade later, and every now and then I still have days where I just don't 100% have it in me to be a good coworker, or a manager, yep. or a professional. Much less a friend, partner, sister, daughter. So it's a challenge to navigate from time to time, and it requires patience from yourself and sometimes from other people. But I would overall tie all of what I just said in. Yes, I am okay, and that's partly because you have to acknowledge the times that you aren't.
1: Yeah. Good for you.
2: Thanks.
1: Good for you. Um, yeah. So let's move on, so we don't dwell on that topic, because that's yeah, not are like this. No. That's not what this For podcast sure. is about. Um, so, you got to be you. I do. This, this professor changes your life, pretty much. She does. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you did want to talk about her. Let's get, let's give her her roses now. Let's talk about how she was able to impact you and take you yeah. from the the, um, sort of the the Sheila that got to Boston University <laughs> to the Sheila that left Boston University.
2: So Emily Rothman, I think she even has a TED Talk. She's like that great. I have such a career crush on her. (laughs) If if Uh, she doesn't,
1: she should, right? She should. Uh,
2: She was a professor, like I said, and she was actually, this is a great segue to like going back into like the nitty gritty of what my actual job is and how I got Mm -hmm. there. Um, She was a PI for my very first job in research, and a PI stands for uh, Principal Investigator. And that just means that she's, the person who has this, obviously I love her, so I'm going to say genius, research idea. And she goes to the government and she says, give me a ton of money and I will look at this problem we all have and I'll figure out how to fix it. So her entire area, as I kind of, I didn't just allude to, I explicitly said before, is actually intimate partner and sexual violence. Okay. Um, So she's fantastic because a skill that she has that I think a lot of people could benefit from was she's able to retain a sense of humanity when looking at something super overwhelming and that takes people aback, but also doesn't lose herself in it. Um, Mm. She has a very kind of calm, like, yes, there is a horrific problem. We are going to make a strong research study. We're going to understand it better. We're going to tackle it with that understanding. And that's a really good perspective that helped me a lot both professionally that time and I would also say personally. And she had a really cool research study going on on teen dating violence. So it was just that was truly my first job was just sitting in the emergency room at Boston Medical Center, checking out the medical records, trying to find teenagers and essentially in You know, no polite terms asking them if they have ever hit or been hit by somebody they date. Um, And it's a very heavy topic, but if it's approached correctly, um, one of the interesting things about public health is it doesn't always 100% matter what the topic area is. If you are solid on your methodology and you know um, the scientific method, you can successfully make and implement a research study on kind of any topic. So that was my first research job with her. And since- Was that
1: while you were a student, Sheila? It
2: was, yeah, it was. So I was in school full time, and then I would like get out of class and go hang out in the hospital until, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night.
1: How old were you? Mm, 22,
2: 23. Okay. Yeah.
1: um, I would just just say for the record, nobody who knew you at 13, 14 would believe that that was you at
0: 22.
2: You know, I actually believe that, but I'm curious why you would say that.
1: Oh, I would say that because I just, I don't see, I mean, this is all, you know, water under the bridge at this point, but when knowing you like I did in high school, Mm -hmm. I didn't see that that would be something that you would put yourself out there for. Right. Um, And, I mean, you're not the first person to be like, Hey, look at me. Let's have a conversation. I've never met you before. You like, I thought at least, and from my understanding of you know who you are as a person, you're inevitably somebody who like sticks to the people that are you know the support that you have,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: are not trying to go out and have conversations with random people about significantly difficult topics.
2: That I would say is a very accurate assessment of me, and it remains true in my. That's personal what I assumed. Yeah, it's definitely true in my personal life. You know, I have a small circle, and I am ride or die for them. Anything they want or need, that's where it it happens. But if you put me in the middle of the fireplace, I think that still exists, in Southern Mm -hmm. Connecticut, I am not going to have a good time. (laughs) Like, it's not going to happen. But the cool thing about research is that... um, there's only, there is a script, you know, yeah. you can't just barge up to somebody and be like, hey, tell me about the terrible experiences in your life. Sure. Like, there is a protocol you have to follow so that everybody right. is being approached the same way. And it is a it right. is a good way to get out of your comfort zone and, sure. you know, push yourself without actually having to open yourself up.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that was while you were a student, right? Mm-hmm. This project seems like it's incredible. Then you went through and graduated from BU with your MPH. I did. What was the first thing that you did after um, graduating with the MPH? Where did you go from there?
2: So the first thing I did, honestly, because the economy fell out from everybody's yep. lives when we yep. graduated, and for, I would say, a year or two after that, the people were just still struggling, there weren't a ton of research jobs in the area I wanted, and
0: mm-hmm. I very
2: much wanted to keep staying in that vein of like, okay, how do we understand violence and how do we prevent it? Okay. Okay. Um, Specifically and in was,
1: relationships?
2: No, not even specifically in relationships. I've worked in a, on a gun violence study, and that was super interesting. Just mm-hmm. this idea of like, how do we stop hurt people from hurting other people was yeah. really interesting to me. Um, and sure. I was too naive, and I didn't really understand the field at that time. Um, I guess I should clarify that in my field, a lot of the research is grant-funded. Right, of course. And that just means it's dependent on whatever topic the government has decided is important to give money to at any given moment. So, you know, I started out with, there were there were some jobs in violence, it's never gonna be the area where people are like, this is comfortable, let's give this a lot of money. Um, but under certain government administrations, who shall not be named, uh, funding for violence research just was completely gutted, research jobs dedicated to that topic dried up, and what I wound up doing is I was like so determined to stay in that sort of topic area and less concerned with, um, I would say, if it had to be at a university, that I came back to Connecticut and I worked for a non-profit for a few years. It's called Kids in Crisis and it's in Greenwich, Um, it's not as snooty as it sounds, in Greenwich. I know we all react viscerally to Greenwich. But it was great. It was actually it was that was a learning experience that was definitely not my like forever place for a bunch of reasons. But it was it was interesting to see the world that nonprofits live in. And you know, as I worked there, eventually, if you give it enough time, a job in your in violence will pop up every now and then. And I managed to see one in Philly and I came here and I've been here ever since.
1: How about that? Yeah. How about that? Okay, so how many years did you spend in Greenwich?
2: Two, maybe three tops. Not a long term.
1: Got it. And then how long have you been at Penn?
2: I think I moved to Philly in 2014. So a lot longer than I can actually believe now that I think (laughs) about the fact that it's 2020. That's so long. (laughs) I, like, live there now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're an official Philadelphia resident. I mean,
2: Penn is... I am, but I will still wear a Patriot shirt everywhere I go.
1: (laughs) I knew you were going
0: to throw that out
2: there. Obviously. The people of Philly know I'll throw that out there. Like, it's (laughs) going to happen.
1: Good for you. All right, so what position or job title did you apply for at Penn?
2: At Penn, so the first job that I took when I came to Philly, it was a research coordinator role, and I guess we could go into, in a sec, I'll like explain research assistant versus coordinator versus project manager because I know you've had Marissa on and she's kind of alluded to it because she's in a similar field. Mm -hmm. I took a, I was a research assistant as a grad student. I took a research coordinator role when I moved to Philly and um, a research assistant is really responsible for a task, maybe two tasks in a research study. A research coordinator is responsible for one maybe two research studies okay if that if that makes sense absolutely Um, so the study that i was hired to work on was about it was honestly about gun violence at the end of the day they dressed it up as just like interpersonal violence but philadelphia has a massive gun violence problem and the city was trying to evaluate whether um, certain like mental health interventions would actually be helpful in reducing gun violence interesting yeah Um, and so I think Chicago could
1: learn a thing or two
2: well I think Philly could still learn a thing or two honestly like is it was it was a really well designed study but it I don't know if it really was effective it was a great idea the idea was if you don't just kind of let people live through the criminal justice system if you put in hospitals Social workers and case managers who can help people get GEDs and mm. you know, progress in their life. Yeah. It'll stop that cycle, and right. the results are mixed, but it's a it's a good idea. And that was I was in charge of overseeing the research operations at Penn Hahnemann, which is now closed. Temple and Einstein Way in North Philly. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. So, mm-hmm. a research coordinator, and then how long before you became research project manager?
2: Uh I it was a couple of years. Okay. Uh you, you probably should I would say my rule of thumb, but this is just my rule of thumb, is you should stay somewhere for at least two years to make sure that you've kind of like absorbed yeah. what information your PI can tell you, unless it's like genuinely a toxic environment, in which case protect yeah. yourself, get out. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Okay, so you stayed a couple of years as a research coordinator. Mm-hmm. What's the difference now between the coordinator and your current position of senior project, senior research project manager?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's really just so the same way that like a research assistant is to a research coordinator, a research mm. coordinator is to a project manager. So I have.
1: I love it. Similes uh, and analogies. <laughs> it's like SAT you know prep all over again. <laughs>
2: Lean on your strengths.
1: Uh,
0: clearly. <laughs>
2: Um, so i have a portfolio of studies and they are all wildly different like some of them are kind of connected but they really are all from this perspective of um health disparities improving the lives of people who are members of vulnerable populations um so i have i can't even i'm trying to count off the top of my head uh it's it's interesting because I have some studies that require almost none of my time. Like I just hand data over to a statistician and they, you know, know what's going on. But the big one occupying my time right now and like all my brain space is mm-hmm. looking at whether there's a way to use technology, uh, specifically automated texting to help patients monitor Covid symptoms from home and then avoid the need to come to the hospital unless absolutely necessary. Right. Yeah, it's super interesting because anybody who's watched the news lately knows the hospitals are terrified of being overwhelmed by patients. Yep. Um, And on in like from the patient side, the Black and Latinx communities in Philly have massive disparities in their ability to even access care or even get to that hospital. So. My job for that study, and for all of them actually, like all of them as a, as a project manager, is to use kind of a broader understanding of how populations interact with each other and with the healthcare system to affect change. They're all in that kind of vein of finding ways to protect the vulnerable populations, people left out, people left behind, and just make systems work better for them.
1: Interesting. Okay, so... From a macro level, right, mm-hmm. at that 30,000-foot level, you just basically explained what your job looks like. Yeah. On a day-to-day, Sheila, what does mm-hmm. your job look like, especially now given that you're working primarily remotely and are not in you know, an in-office in setting?
2: That is a fantastic question. Um, I, it totally depends on the day. I, because I have, I actually have multiple PIs, like multiple Emilys in my life, and they each have multiple projects. So I roughly divide up my days by, you know, who is giving me what percent of my salary. <laughs>
0: sure.
2: <laughs> it's not even that cold of an assessment. If you looked at my um, record with Pen, what they do is they literally say, okay, 30% of Sheila's salary gets charged to Rachel. Yeah, of of Sheila's, Yeah. So... I, unfortunately, like, do allocate my time that way. And it depends on the study. The majority of my study is just that high-level stuff. I can hand off the working with participants, you know, that interviewing people, talking to them. Um, I can hand that off to a research assistant, maybe even an extrovert who likes doing that sort of thing. And Weirdos. Uh, it's so weird. <laughs> they probably even make podcasts.
1: Oh, I know. Uh, it's, it's so weird. Yeah, cool. <laughs>
2: Yes, yeah, so I can hand off that like day-to-day stuff and not to say like I can hand off the stuff I don't want to do, but right. I can manage the budgets, I can fix problems, truly anything that like if a research assistant or a coordinator cannot handle it, then it is probably a big problem and that is probably what's occupying my day. Got it. Mm-hmm. Is
1: there one particular study that you are working on right now that interests you the most?
2: Um,
1: Just from a personal I was, standpoint? I think the
2: COVID one is definitely one of my favorite favorites.
0: Sure.
2: Uh, I get to work with a lot of really great people, and it's rare that you find a research team, and you're like, I like literally everyone on here. Yeah. And not just a research team, but just like a any job. Yeah. yeah, any team. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, interesting. So it's easy for you after, when you have five or ten minutes to sort of explain what you do. How do you tell people on a day-to-day? Like if you were out meeting people or if somebody asks say, hey Sheila what have you been up to how do you explain what your job is to them
2: not well i <laughs> usually just stare at them and i'm like Ugh. yes um I, I generally kind of simplify it to like you know Sometimes doctors and prof- this sounds very patronizing. Sometimes doctors and professors have ideas, but they don't know how to do it on a day-to-day basis. And my job is to figure out how to do it on a day-to-day basis. And it sounds patronizing, but it's actually only patronizing to those doctors and professors. Yeah right. And the good ones know it too. The good ones know when they can't do something.
0: Sure.
1: Yeah. okay. That makes sense. Um, given your current position, what's the best part about your what's the best part about your role?
2: You, uh, the best part about my role, first of all, is my supervisors. Um, they are really brilliant people and they have a knack for making sure that even if you are not, and I never am, the smartest person in the room, you mm-hmm. do not feel like the dumbest. Like That's your good. opinions, yeah, your opinions still matter, um, your viewpoints still matter, and they might explain to you and they will why you are incorrect, but they still want to hear them and they want you to feel comfortable talking about them, and they they truly are great. They have high expectations, but they're also very clearly humans who care about their staff. So that's not something that can be overrated at any job.
1: Sure. What type of positions, or what are the titles of people that you report to then in your position?
2: So I report directly to, I think they're both MD, PhDs, because one degree will never do. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're they have more letters after their name than
0: before I their name. A yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, that's a great <laughs> way to name?
1: put it. Yeah, I'm gonna use
2: I'm gonna use that quote. You should
1: more letters after their name than in their name. Yeah, I've got a couple of people like that. <laughs> so good. Um, awesome. And then these people are VPs of research, SVPs, just doctors.
2: Um, so one of them, her name is Rachel Warner. She is actually the. First female executive director of the Leonard Davis Institute, and it all comes full circle because the Leonard Davis Institute is an institute at Penn that is focused on healthcare economics. So here I am,
0: here you are,
2: back, back with my people. Um, And for somebody who
1: hated math, though, I don't understand what you're doing in econ.
2: Yeah, I know. Um, My defense is that I feel like economics is math with a story.
1: I guess, you know, yeah, that's the fair no point. No
2: one cares fair what point. X is. but fair like, yeah. If you know, like, oh, hey, X is the number of people who are going to get COVID if you don't do this thing. You right. care a lot about finding X. True story. Yeah. That's well done. Thank it's you.
1: A, it's a, yeah, you're welcome.
2: <laughs>
0: All right,
1: so Rachel Warner, the executive director of the, Institute, the Leonard Davis
2: Institute. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then the else? other person that I that most of my time goes to, his name is Krista Chayachati. He is also fantastic, and he's very focused on things like telehealth. Cool. Uh, which was his focus before COVID, but right. it's, it's almost like he had a second sight because it's sure. going to be so important.
1: Yeah, for sure. Mm. Awesome. And then, so those are the, I mean, obviously those two people represent what the best part of your role is. What would you say is the most challenging aspect of your job?
2: I think the most challenging thing is I have to be able to mentally switch quickly between projects and activities, like mm-hmm. on a dime. You need to be ready to answer a question out of the blue about something unrelated to what you were doing 30 seconds ago.
0: Yep.
2: So if you're distracted or tired, it's super easy for things to fall through the cracks. So you, The challenging thing is to be quick but accurate. Yeah.
1: On all the time.
2: Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. Um, as you think about then what the steps would be as you go forward, right? So we talked about research assistant, to coordinator, to where you are now. If you were to looking to move up, where is the step up that you would be able to take? Or what would you want to do next after this?
2: Um, it's interesting because to be a research manager is truly where that kind of traditional ladder ends. So you have like research assistant, like junior and senior, research mm-hmm. coordinator, Junior, middling, senior project manager. And that's pretty much the same at any institution or hospital you go to. There are like some differences, but that's pretty much the same. Yeah. Once you hit like a senior project manager role, there really isn't a next step because you can't become a PI unless you have a PhD, yeah. maybe an MD. Right. Um, ideally, both or
1: more. Yeah, diverse. why not? Yeah, sure. <laughs>
2: But that is just not, I'm, I'm not super interested in going back to school. So for people like me, the next step is to either, you know, stay where I am, and I'm very lucky to have the job I have, and I do love it. Or to kind of take a more institutional level job and kind of look at research on a university scale. And you really, like, at that point, leave the day-to-day of research operations, and you go very much into the big picture of like, okay, how is the university's research portfolio doing?
1: Mm. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: It's interesting that it's almost plateaued now, right? But now you have to look at like parallel lines of opportunity to see. Yeah.
2: It's, so I took this job about a year ago. So I mm. definitely have, I have a little time before the next step would for be sure. expected. Yeah, um, for yeah. lack of a better phrase. Uh. And as we all have discussed, I haven't exactly had an orthodox career path. So who right. knows, truly. But I do think there are, when you've been in the game long enough, sorry, uh, you just know, you start to know people and you know places and you know the reputations and you like mm-hmm. working for them. And so I kind of have this mental list of people and places that I have really liked working with. And so when the time comes, if I feel like I'm ready for a new challenge or a new step, the first thing I would do is look to those people and places and be like, where do you recommend I go yeah. from here?
1: Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, why not, right? If you have yeah. a network, you should use yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you had said, talked a little bit about how your salary is based around, you know, different departments.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, does that, flu- and I'm not going to ask about numbers, but I'm just curious, does that fluctuate based on grant money coming in? Like, do they need to write more grants to be able to make sure that you're covered, or do you ha- do you just get paid a fixed amount for the year, and mm-hmm. then that number just gets put out over uh, different, um, you know, budget areas?
2: Uh, so it's grant funding is funny because every research job that I've had has been it's listed in the in the job posting contingent upon grant funding. So. Of it's known like when the grant ends, you're gonna have to find another source of support. And yep. that is good and bad. Like um, one job I had, like the grant ended and I was like, you know what, that's that's really fine. I would prefer to not work here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so let me go. And it's just a really, it's a convenient mutual parting at times I would sure. imagine for some people. Um, if you work for people who are skilled and senior enough in research, they will have multiple grants, and they will be able, if one ends, to kind of supplement your salary on the other. So it really shouldn't be an issue, and if it ever is an issue, you should have a ton of heads up. Like you should know a year in advance, yeah. like I will need a new job.
1: Right, and is grant writing something that you want to do, like to do, have to do?
2: So I love grant writing to death, but it's I never tell people this because nobody, likes grant writing it is a ton of ton of work um when i do it i just i think i just go off the grid to the point where i don't know marissa will be like sheila are you dead i just don't i just don't (laughs) respond to people at all i think it's really fun because there is a structure in the way to do things and you really do get to argue your point it's like a Mm. job interview that you can throw all your intelligence behind and you can take the time to show how great you are. Sure. And so it's truly one of the most fun things yeah. that I do.
1: Awesome. In your normal job, given how much, how many different projects you are overseeing at a time and how many different studies you're overseeing, how would you rate work-life balance of somebody in your position, Sheila?
2: So <laughs> my job right now has fantastic work-life balance Mm -hmm. like really really honestly I think I I don't know I've never had an issue taking time off leaving a little late leaving sorry leaving a little earlier not late
0: Uh,
2: but I have had one job where I had horrific work-life balance and so Like, I'll describe it, but I also want to say, like, no job in my field or, like, a similar job to mine. At no point should you be working 10 to 12 hours a day, coming home, crying into a glass of wine or five. And I wish that was an exaggeration. I do. But, like, that should not be the way it is. So
0: um,
2: I would generally say to somebody who is interested in my field and in my job that this is probably one of the best work-life balances you could have, especially with COVID, everything is remote and it's easy to do remotely.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. So as we think about the future, right, we've talked obviously about where you want to go or where you could go. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about how you got to where you are. So um, outside of the professor at BU, are there other individuals that you felt have been influential along the journey? from where you are to where you, where, where you were to where you are to where you want to go?
2: Yeah, so I have, I think the great thing about my field is that, well, it's a bad thing if you're a bad person, but the great thing about my <laughs> field is if you are a good person, you definitely can build a real, you can easily build a really strong network of um, just support, people that you've worked with in the past or that, Want to work with you in the future. Um, and it doesn't even have to be at your place of work. You know, like mm-hmm. Marissa is also in health research of a, of a type. And there have been times where I, you know, have fired up GChat in the middle of the day and asked her opinion on something. So sure. there are definitely, I, I don't know, I couldn't even count the number of people who have been coworkers or close to coworkers who have been massively helpful and saved my ass. But when I think about specific individuals, no shade to Marissa, professionally, um, when I worked in that nonprofit in Connecticut, KIC, Kids in Crisis, the people that worked there, I'll name them, Michael Ferguson and Kim Lysak, because they probably will listen to this at some point, they were hugely influential because I was struggling a bit, and I think everybody who's fresh out of school can um, identify with this feeling of like, I am now an adult. I feel like I know everything. I'm not 100% sure if I know everything, and I'm not going to navigate that really gracefully. Uh, and they were just so fabulous, and they just were so compassionate for everyone from the kids who lived at that location to the staff, and that included me as I was working out who I was and what I wanted to be. So whenever i manage people and in various positions as a project manager you hire manage and fire people when i manage people right out of school who are trying to sort out that like how to be professional thing whether or not they know that's what they're doing i honestly think of kic every time and i think like okay what would michael do because he's just the kindest personal person imaginable. Like mm-hmm. I'm a big one for don't speak badly about yourself, but I can emphatically say the 24-year-old Sheila could probably have stood to be put in her place a lot more than she was, so Michael was a saint for for tolerating me.
1: Well, if you want to tell that young lady from 9 years ago, feel free to yell at her. Just <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff you should you should have said to yourself from nine
2: I'll just go back in time and be like, shh, you know, like, you're being Yeah, a what jerk. are you
1: doing? Yeah, what are you doing?" <laughs> you just um,
2: don't know though. Like, right? Like you're 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 young and you just yeah. don't you, No one tells you like the little tiny etiquette things of your field, and you just kind of go in like a bull in a china shop. Like,
1: right. "Okay,
2: baby, sit down."
1: Yeah. Um as you think about what you would like to do is the, is the goal ultimately to get back into that sort of um, relationship violence, sexual violence field? Or now is it really just about population health, helping people in all aspects of, of life?
2: So my goal, and hopefully if my bosses get wind of this and they listen, they don't think I'm just going to leave them. Huh. Um, my, my goal would be not necessarily to get directly back into like the interpersonal violence field, yep. but to work at a place that really values that kind of research and the place that i'm specifically thinking of no shade to the university of pennsylvania but is temple honestly they yeah they have um they do have a problematic relationship with their immediate neighbors like i will say that and i don't want to take away from that but i think there are departments at temple that are very invested in that kind of that kind of research they aren't just interested in the next vaccine or the next drug or the next yeah. cool type of surgery like they really care about population level health so that would be one place that I'm really interested in interesting in mm-hmm. all
1: the research that you've done now that you've sort of allowed us to open this topic are there pieces of of like tidbits of knowledge that you want to drop on folks around what you've found in all the research you've done like what's going on <laughs> what are you, what are you what's seeing
2: What's going on
0: yeah um,
2: it's you know, I think the the biggest thing that's a duh to a lot of people but isn't a duh until you actually put it on paper is that the role of substance use when it comes to any type of violence cannot be overestimated, um, whether that's alcohol right. or anything else. Um, that plays a huge role. And so when there's research dedicated to like, oh, hey, if we like prevent alcohol abuse, will we also prevent violence? It's not to minimize the importance of violence by itself, but it's Mm -hmm. a contributing factor for sure. I also, I used a phrase that um, is pretty popular in some areas, which is like, hurt people hurt people. And it's cliche and derivative but if you think about it it actually is true when i was working on that gun violence study we were enrolling perpetrators and we were enrolling victims and the the thing that we just we knew would happen when we went in and the thing that we obviously saw and documented was if it's a venn diagram it almost 100 percent overlaps you know like it's there's there is there are very few people who just hurt somebody out of the blue there right. are those people, and I'm not going to like make excuses for them. And even if they were hurt, you still can't make excuses for them. Truly. But it is important to understand the role of trauma in people's lives. It makes sense. Yeah.
1: I would assume that's uh, across all spectrums of violence, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. I would say so. It With my expert opinion.
1: Yeah, I, I'd, I would so. think. I would think. <laughs> I mean, given your years of experience, your... MPH you graduated Brandeis at whatever 16 or whatever age you finished.
2: (laughs) I did do it at 16 you just weren't there for the ceremony
1: uh uh, yeah I must have missed how you did that after (laughs) also going to anatomy and physiology with me in whatever period we Mr.
2: Teray was there I don't know how you
1: (laughs) shout out to Mike Teray for sure um your career was brought about by um, events that you did not control, right? right. If mm-hmm. you think about it now, after the last 15, 18 years, Sheila, would you go back and change the way things happened um, given how you got to where you are? Um,
2: well, let me think. I like I want to be very super clear, and I know you didn't mean it this way at all, but I'm just going to clarify for anybody who might be listening. Like, nobody... I, and I want to say this again, I know you didn't mean it this way, nobody has, nobody does anything to make something like that happen to them. I don't give a rat's ass how short your skirt is, what time you were walking home at night, like that wasn't your control. The be- I think the best thing you can do, and I'm loath to give advice to people because it's such a sensitive topic and I don't yeah know all the time yes. the best you can do and honestly the best i tried to do even if i did it imperfectly was to take each day as it comes do what you can and mm-hmm. make the best choice you can for yourself in that moment and mm-hmm. there are definitely times where i like look at people like my sister went to college at holy cross she went to law school william mary and now she's this awesome lawyer down in virginia and her career path was very smooth and straightforward and there are times that I look at that and I get jealous and I get envious, but you can't be, you can't put somebody else's life over your own and compare them the way that I think people are tempted to. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily go back and do anything differently, I just wish that certain things hadn't happened. For sure. Yeah.
1: For sure, so you could have still had this exact same career path without that one incident being the driving factor. And yeah, and, yeah,
2: and 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 the the thing is, it is like such a shame because yeah. I don't think that people truly are made aware of all the possible career paths out there for them. Like, mm. if I had been presented with this as a career path, minus that like horrible thing that happened, yeah. I I can pretty much guarantee I still would have picked it, although maybe for different reasons. So right. it's just such a shame that. We aren't. I mean, it's been a long time. I'm an old lady. I'm not in school anymore. But yeah. when we were young, it wasn't it, thing like careers outside the norm were not popular or described to us well.
1: Sure. Do you feel like that still drives you though to do the work as as well and as hard as you do it?
2: Yeah, the fact that definitely. The you're
1: emotionally connected to what it is that you're doing.
2: Yeah, definitely. Because it all started from just this drive to be like I. I can't fix what happened to me, and I can't work on an individual level and fix what happened to another person, but maybe I can, like, I can't end it for society, but I can be part of what, you know, stops that wheel from turning. Sure. Um, And so it doesn't matter if it's the exact topic area that hits home or if it's an area that hits home for another person. If you can be contributing to ending something painful to somebody else doesn't matter if it's violence or prostate cancer or COVID or anything if you can be part of that I find that to be a really special career
1: sure oh that's great Um, and then the last question I would ask you about that particular incident is did they find the person who put you in that position No.
2: Um, no. And this it like it opens up a whole whole thing because I think I did touch a little bit on how the climate on college campuses at that point was different no, from no how question. it is now. Yeah. No question. Um, and I I mean I'll be totally honest, and this is not something I'm super proud of. I did not come forward. And there yeah. are, are many people in my life who, if they listen to this, would be so Maybe not that it happened, but that I feel like it had the impact it did. Sure. Uh, so, no, they didn't, and I. it actually kind of brings up darkly, I was offered a position in Boston right after I graduated, so I described how I went to Connecticut, because right. there weren't a ton of jobs. There was one job, and it was in Boston, and the office would have been a floor above where he worked. And nope. Nope. It, exactly, nope. nope, not at all. And I <laughs> I remember like going into Emily's office and being like, please don't be ashamed of me, but I can't do this. And she was like, yeah. Sheila, no, stop that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely, you have to kind of find a way to make peace with your demons uh, and that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, we all have them. Yeah, know.
0: sure. Every,
2: everybody's been through something and you have to find a way to make peace with your demons. So, I mean, you asked me a little bit about advice. And so, because I'm in a sage old woman giving advice mood, I would I would say you have to, you just have to be patient with yourself as you deal with them. And it doesn't matter what that demon is in sure. your life. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um I mean, there are so many things to say, you know, if that if that particular individual ever listens to this podcast, you know, uh
2: I hope through the airwaves he's cursed. And
1: saying, yeah, there are there are so many words that you want to
2: say, <laughs> but they all,
1: they all just fall short, right, as to how the yeah,
2: actual yeah. emotion is.
1: Um, okay, so let's let's think about this as we wrap then, Sheila. Um, mm-hmm. Let's wrap on some, and conclude on some positivity.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: advice that you have for your younger self, way back when, who was just starting out thinking about what my life is going to end up being like going forward. So we're sitting in our third period, freshman biology class in 2001. What
2: mm-hmm. are you telling
1: What are you telling Sheila Kelly at 14 years old?
2: Was it really third period?
1: Uh, the lab was third period.
2: <laughs> the lab was third period, Sheila. Um, okay. Seriously,
1: I don't know why you don't remember that stuff. You don't have that, <laughs> that schedule from your freshman year like up on the wall somewhere?
2: No, it's not framed.
1: <laughs> I only know that because 9-11 just happened six days ago, right, and I was just thinking about where were we.
2: You know what, that's a good point. That's right, really we were
1: point. together on 9/11 during that whole thing, and so um, that's what—that's how I remember. Yeah. That. So okay. For anybody who, Fair if for enough. anybody who thinks, for anybody who thinks I'm a, a total <laughs> dweeb and remember my freshman year of high school schedule, I don't.
2: Yeah, you I got only... to write an autograph and framed it on your wall. <laughs>
1: I only know where we were because there were th- 14 of us together at that particular time, and 9-11 happened when we were freshmen in high school. So
2: That's fair, and I'm a bad person for making fun of you. but
1: No, no, don't apologize. <laughs> impo- no, it's all good. It's all good. We, we we dealt with it together. So
2: It's true. We did. That was a yeah. wild time.
1: It was a wild time. So advice for yourself at uh, at 14? Uh,
2: advice for myself at 14. Um, so the first thing, to be very blunt, and somewhere Mary and Carl are cheering, they're probably downstairs cheering and eavesdropping, honestly, <laughs> um, is like, Or they yeah,
1: will be when this is published.
2: <laughs> you're not being open-minded by closing your off, yourself off to anything. So me being like, I don't want to do math and science. Like, yeah. you're not actually... Be- that's not the definition of being open-minded. Right. Um, and the other thing I just would say is that if things... Aren't going to go according to plan, it doesn't automatically mean that something's failed. Yeah. You know, like yeah. as priorities in life yeah. shift, your career direction may as well. And I think society accepts and understands that in some super traditional terms, like yeah. having a kid equals you may shift to a more accommodating job with work life balance, but right. it doesn't always have to be something traditional that makes you reassess what's important and what you want to do. Cool.
1: So that was your advice to your younger self, which I think will probably be similar to the advice you were giving to the other. Yeah. And you know what?
2: I wouldn't take it. I I know I wouldn't take it. (laughs) At all. Nope.
1: So now your advice (laughs) to your younger self has fallen on deaf ears. How about advice?
2: I know her. (laughs) for,
1: For other people, right? You were giving some advice earlier about taking things day to day. Yeah. Um, do you have other pieces of advice just for anybody who might be interested in what you have to say, uh, what you are doing? Like if they want to go down a research path, what are your, what's your advice just career wise for the general public?
2: Uh, my so my advice, quite honestly, is look up people whose research you find interesting. Like find yourself your Emily Rothman and mm-hmm. reach out to them. I can guarantee you with some like minor sleuthing, I can help. I have very good online stalking abilities. Uh, You can find their email address and I can guarantee you they are more than accustomed to and they more than welcome getting emails from people or calls from people asking for advice. And so I would definitely encourage anybody who's interested in my field or something related to my field to find somebody who you don't even have to call them a mentor who can just maybe direct you in a place that you could look and then the more people you have directing you and helping you, the better you are.
1: Awesome. Great. Well, I think we should end on that cuz that's the positivity that we are hoping yeah. to. That's to what
2: end we're on. known for.
1: That's what you're known for. <laughs> so, uh, as we wrap then Sheila, is there anything else, anything that I missed, anything else that you would like to drop on the listeners before we I don't we... think
2: so. I'm I'm pretty sure I just like gave people too much information if if anything.
1: Well, again as I said in the in the middle of it, right? If you want to talk about what motivates you to be the best, not only you know, senior research project manager and not only employee, but not just person, you have to be able to say, okay, this is what I went through and now let's deal with it. And if you're using that as fuel to fire, to help research, help other people, then it is what it is, right?
2: Yeah, it is what it is. Awesome. Right. Well,
1: Sheila, Kelly, thank you very much for being a guest, for giving all that great information. Best of luck to you
0: Thank as you, so you
1: go forward. Um, and as always, ladies and gentlemen, of course, take care, stay safe. Shashwat Baxi, this was My Life Be Like.